Hi, I'm Andrew Tobias. And I'm Stephen Goldmeyer. The internet's a weird place. We're going to show you. Hold on to your butt. Hello, and welcome to Hold On To Your Butts. I'm Stephen Goldmeyer, as usual. And uh, this is Andrew Tobias, as usual. <laughs> and uh, this week we're going to be talking about... First, we're going to talk a little bit about the story, the kidnapping story last week, specifically Charles Ramsey, the quote-unquote internet hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then next, we're going to be talking a little bit about what happens when celebrities go crazy publicly on Twitter. And what we can learn from it. And then after that, obviously, we'll talk about our usual feature, Link of the Week, and we'll have a little bit of feedback about last week's episode. So let's get started. Yeah. So pretty much the thing that uh, I think kind of swept the nation this week in that kind of creepy, dungeon-y kind of way um, was the <laughs> guy up in Cleveland, Ariel Castro, who allegedly... Held three women in his house for about 10 years, locked yeah. them in various parts in his house, uh, possibly in chains, possibly in ropes. The media really wants to know which one. These women escaped, which is, you know, a good story. And then out of all of it, we met Charles Ramsey, who is the kind of archetypical, at this point, we're pretty familiar with him, kind of generally lower class, uh, quotable, colorful um, guy who just kind of started spouting off um to local news reporter, you know, so it's just, it's a transaction that we've seen play out where, you know, it's some anonymous uh, guy with hair gel in a suit talking to some scruffy <laughs> salt of the earth kind of guy. And like I say, my neighbor, uh, you, you got, you got the, some big testicles to pull this off, bro, because we see this dude every day. I mean, every day. How long have you lived here? I've been here a year. Okay. You still come up, bro? Right. I barbecue with, with this dude. We eat ribs and, and whatnot and listen to salsa music. You see what I'm coming from? I love that you described it as a transaction. That's, that really encapsulates how rote it is that there's going to be one of these sort of flavorful, crazy people uh, talking to an anonymous, you know, fill-in-the-blank person. It's like going to the bank. It's just a thing that has to happen right. every time one of these stories comes yeah, and up. And I, I think something before we move on to Mr. Ramsey himself is, you know, uh, uh, these news reporter people on TV, right? Like, I, I think he, he's as much of, like, as part of this formula where people don't really differentiate one from the other because they all kind of look the same, you know? Yeah, so. that that might be important to this story, right? Like the news reporter never becomes the internet sensation or the person we're interested in. It's always the person they're talking to. So in in, in essence, they're just the the medium in which uh, that, that other crazy person is suspended. And that's maybe important to why we enjoy these kinds of stories. But obviously there's a lot more to why we enjoy yeah. these kinds of well, stories. And so I think people probably, you know, uh, if they found this uh, podcast somewhere within the annals of google or being friends with us um you know let's, we, let's we say more likely we don't really need be... to set this stage too much um so 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 mr ramsey you know uh talks to this reporter and then it blows up almost instantly i think you know part of that is that there's this explosion of interest in the story almost immediately and then there's like this meta explosion of like people wanting to talk about the story you know and, and so they latched onto this guy who was uh, colorful and profane and hilarious. Uh, you know, it, it was only a matter of time. Right. And I think you're exactly right to describe it as the meta story of talking about the story. And that is, to me at least, the more large, the more vocal version of the story is the meta story. You know, people coming to my office and saying, you hear about this thing in Cleveland? It's crazy. You know, that uh, that's that's much more what I experienced with this story than the details of the story itself is people talking about it. And from a, a, a quote unquote postmodern perspective, talking as somebody who's never ever 
taken a class about postmodernism. Uh, the the idea, at least as far as I can tell, is to deconstruct what narratives are organizing the way that we actually interact with the story itself. And it's very much a, a quote unquote uh, postmodern experience to make the story the most important part of the story. Us talking about the story, or even someone recounting the story to a third party, becomes the prominent piece of the story. So the the, the I guess the trajectory of the story. Then we we have our our person that lets us latch on to how we talk about the story, and you know I think overnight basically he uh, ends up on a T-shirt. Um, he ends up being auto-tuned by the Gregory brothers, which, uh, who knew they were still around, right? <laughs> I mean, am I alone in thinking that? That's a perfectly fair question. Uh, who knew they were still around? But I think the people that knew they were still around are the ones that, that uh, people that, that always look for them after something like this I happens, guess. which I think is most people are kind of looking for, when are we going to get the auto-tune remix from the Gregory brothers? Yeah, give it away. Yeah, give it away. But so um, I think some of the conversations that that you can have about this, I mean, um, there's there's this sort of backlash that's happening. People held up Charles Ramsey as as the hero, you know, in this story. Uh, it, it helps to have somebody like that, and. I think they saw him and said, well, there's this scruffy black guy who has bad teeth. And even he, you know, was able to uh, rise above his circumstances and be a hero in this one story. And what would I do if I were in that situation? And would I be so, so funny when I were to recount it, you know, more importantly, right? But I think the other, the other side of that, which that's certainly part of it, but I think the more potent side of it is that when he says things like, uh, in, in one of the interviews, he says something like, if this had played out differently, I would have basically killed this guy. I would have, you know, I would have been violent against this guy. So there's certainly an amount of uh, uh, fetishizing violence and, and poverty and, like, you know, the real common man who's going to fight back against this guy. So on the one hand, you do have that even this guy could rise above his circumstances. But on the other hand, it's this guy's circumstances make him a real man and a man of the people who would have beat these guys up if he was in a position to do it. And that, that I, we are sort of getting into what makes us uncomfortable about, at least makes me uncomfortable about the whole thing. Well, there's another layer too, before we get into what makes you uncomfortable. And that layer is that this guy just kind of fulfills the stereotype of a poor black guy. Right. And, you know, he's, he's cursing up a storm. He's, yeah. You know, his his vocabulary is similar to, I think, you know, it recalled for me anyways, uh, any number of Samuel L. Jackson's characters sure. who aren't necessarily poor, right? But still, um, uh, his 911 call is particularly hilarious. Um, that all comes from that place of we hear somebody that has this voice that's very distinct as being, to a certain extent, other, you know, separate from us. And there's been a lot of articles that have been trying to get at why we're uncomfortable with this whole thing. And the first instinct is to say, you know, uh, we are we like this guy because he's basically, you know, a minstrel show. It's a guy in in blackface doing black stuff that we think is funny. And that's the first layer where people say this makes us uncomfortable for this reason. Um, So there is sort of an element of his his weird otherness that makes us think this is so funny. But he also fits with, like you said, a Samuel L. Jackson sort of stereotype caricature of a culture. Um, 
but then, you know, we've had other examples of this that aren't necessarily from the same angle, uh, from the same racial background or from the same socioeconomic background, or maybe maybe actually from well, the same and socioeconomic I, I think the, the last time that at least, you know, that I felt this way or that I, you know, what this makes me think of is the uh, hide your kids, hide your wife guy. Um, Antoine Dodson. Well... Obviously, we have a rapist in Lincoln Park. He's climbing in your windows. He's snatching your people up, trying to rape them. So y'all need to hide your kids, hide your wife, and hide your husband because they're raping everybody out here. Which played out in a pretty similar fashion, um, you know, um, e- even with the whole rapey thing. Um, he comes busting out the of a... The whole rapey thing. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the parts are the same. I'm going to call a spade a spade, all right? So... And, and that raised a lot of the same questions. Is why, why is this funny, right? Like, are, is it funny because we think that you know, is this is this us all slumming together and, and laughing at the poor black people, or you know? And, and I'm obviously coming at the perspective from being like a relatively well-off white person. So, but right. uh, you know, so different people from different backgrounds may approach it from a different way. But just right. that's that's how I I think a lot of people reacted to it, anyways. Sure. And I think Antoine Dodson is another example of somebody who's from a lower socioeconomic class, who's from a minority. Um, but I think. Every time this has happened, uh, and I think when we were preparing for this, we came up with a, a laundry list of people, and they all seem to be from a group that is quote-unquote other, uh, a minority group, a group that doesn't encapsulate the, the demographics that are actually sharing these videos on YouTube. Um, you know, white, uh, mostly middle class, uh, or even even if lower middle class, certainly not as, as the, the socioeconomic level that people are living in these projects or living in these sort of poorer neighborhoods in Cleveland. Um, there was also the example of like that woman who was at the the uh, uh, the robbery that took place at that store and she had the song as she's backing up, backing up. I'm backing up, backing up, backing up, backing up Cause my daddy taught me good I'm backing up, I'm out of there And I'm like, oh my god Gregory Brothers do that song. That too? was the Gregory Brothers, and the Gregory Brothers are always doing these. Uh, you know, that's that's. Uh, it's hard to tell what what happens here. If it's uh, the story happens, and then the Gregory Brothers take advantage of the popularity of the story, or the story happens to a very limited degree, and then the Gregory Brothers are what makes it popular. So, so what what are they contributing? Do you think to like the social fabric exactly by doing this stuff? That's a good question. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. My first stab at it would be to to remind you that we did sort of skip over the the whole the rape stuff. What did you say? The rapey element. Yeah, uh, yeah. We did sort of skip over that. All of these stories are kind of tragic. You know, there's the, well, the and, and I can say you know I mean I I'm not going to talk about this too much, but uh, the, I have the distinct pleasure of having actually traveled to Cleveland and writing about this story as a journalist and talking to some of the people in the in the neighborhood and so. Uh, lest we forget, there are there is a real tragic situation behind this. There are people who are living that in a really visceral way. And then I found there are also people who are living it in a really meta way, too. I uh, stopped in the corner store that's down the street from where this all took place. It's owned by the family of Ariel Castro. And I, and I don't know too much about what I walked into, right? But my read on the situation was that there was an old lady behind the counter, you know, kind of tending the store. And I went in and bought a bottle of water as I saw a lot of journalists walking in and buying stuff and leaving. And I overheard her talking to somebody else in the store about how cool it was that somebody that they knew was on TV. I maybe had these misgivings about we're all going to, we're the swarm of locusts, they're going to just eat all the weed off the field and then leave it, you know, (laughs) path of destruction behind us and garbage and stuff. And on some level, um, you know, I think the people that were there with us kind of uh, enjoyed the experience of kind of being a part of it, just like I, I kind of did, like sort of somewhere inside of my... Uh, 
don't know, my belly. I'm not really sure where <laughs> your belly where that would happen exactly. Uh, but you know, so you could even generalize that to Charles Ramsey himself, which is it is this is a tragic story, and he actually has kind of a tragic role in it, which is he has to bust down a door and hear that there are there are other women trapped inside this house, uh, and and that tragic role, you know, the the the, the auto tune remix, the lighthearted interview. You could look at that as being a similar situation to that grocery store clerk, which is there's excitement around the neighborhood and on a meta level, I'm part of this story. And there's something, if not laudable, at least kind of fun about being involved in the story and talking to reporters. And so that might be some of what we see when we see that video is that the happier side of that. Yeah, and it is, you know, you, you do capture that first interview, just capture the energy. You can see people smiling around him, whereas they, you know, really, if they were to stop and think about it, they'd say, wow, this is pretty messed up. My neighbor is a crazy person and these girls yeah. and all that stuff. But on the other hand, you know, like you said, I think they see the lights of the TV. They say, wow, this is probably pretty big. This is fun. I've never been on TV before. And then that pretty quickly moved forward where if we uh, look at the interview that Charles Ramsey did with Anderson Cooper, where he, he, he starts off the whole thing with, you're going to love this. I'm going to tell this story, you know, and he kind of knows the kind of role that he's playing in the whole thing at that point. And and, you know, I think he, to some extent, is acting the way that he thinks that he should. So it's it's complicated, right? There's this fundamental level that everybody experiences things on. And then there's this kind of secondary level where people like kind of participate in the story that they realize that they're being kind of woven into. Right. And we did talk a little bit about this last week with the uh, Boston bombing and the Internet sort of jumping on to talking about the story to become part of the story. So that's probably going to be a thing that comes up with a lot of the stories we talk about here is the Internet creates this realm where people start uh, participating in the story more readily than just uh, just consuming it and just seeing it. And the participating uh, might be a way of coping with this tragedy, but it's certainly the way that the story works now. People are all participating instead of just watching. But I do want to offer kind of a foil to some of the uh, the racial stuff that we were talking about earlier. Uh, you know, I mean, this is not this is this isn't rocket science for me to pull this out. But Kai, the the hatchet wielding hitchhiker, he runs up and he grabs one of them, man, like a guy that big can snap a woman's neck like a pencil stick. So I fucking ran up behind him with a hatchet, smash, smash, smash. He's this kind of uh, uh, zonked out, uh, dreadlocked. What, what do you call somebody who only has one name, like Madonna or Pele or Shaq? Oh. I, I don't know. Well, he's that, right? Yeah, like Kai. He's, he doesn't have time for two names. I don't know, though, because if you said Kai, I might not know what you're talking about. But if you said Kai the Hitchhiker, all, right. all of a sudden I know what you're talking about. Okay, t- so his last name's the Hitchhiker, I right? Guess. So it's, we're going to go like this sort of like middle age kind of approach to surnames in this case. So um, but, Kai the First, the Hitchhiker with the hatchet. Yeah. Yeah, right. And, and then Kai the Less would be his son, right? Or whatever, you know. But. Uh, but anyways, you know, I mean, so it, it's not necessarily this binary, like either, uh, uh, well, you know, we, we tend to view race, I think, kind of in a binary fashion. Uh, I, I think on some level, there are two things happening. I think one is that uh, people like to kind of see these stereotypes kind of play out in real life. And, right. and, and I think they're laughing at it and it's exploitative in a certain way. Um, and I think the other thing is that it's it's this kind of like salt of the earth, like look at these zany characters that, that live all around us we don't necessarily know. And that's... Right. that's these real people. Right. I think there's a certain uh, element of trying to find this authenticity by how zany and real but, these people are. I th- and I think that's more of a positive direction to approach this kind of thing from. Sure. Because, yeah. you know, uh, the, this kind of stuff is happening every day and we see people around us that have interesting stories. And, you know, this gives us an opportunity to kind of, you know, pluck that person out of their context, you know, stick them on the internet or wherever... And kind of let them, you know, dance around a little bit and we can kind of... 
I mean, I, I would I would be nervous about it saying dance around. That's, but that, that's uh, kind of what's happening, I think. It right? is kind of what's happening, but it does it do, that does counteract some of your saying this is a positive thing. But, but, I think the bottom line it is it is both positive and negative. There is there is a bit of dance around to this, but there also is an element of engaging with real people and you know trying to find authenticity in these crazy blown out news stories. Right. Well, and then Charles Ramsey again. There there is he is dancing for us too, right? But he's also yeah. I think telling us about ourselves, which sure. if we ask these questions of, you know, am I as, as good of a person as Charles Ramsey is? You know, would I, you know, in, in a situation where I'm required to do something extraordinary, would I look the other way or would I drop my McDonald's and start kicking out the door? Right. You know, like this guy did. So so another uh, another thing about Charles Ramsey is that uh, as, as we're wont to do, we, we kind of pluck these people out of nowhere. We put them on a pedestal and then we tear them down by going through <laughs> their past, right? Like as it comes out. Uh, Mr. Ramsey has a domestic violence conviction in his past. I don't recall the, the specifics, um, but... It might have been multiple incidents. Yeah, and he did time. And I know that they found, I think, his ex-wife or his ex-girlfriend. And, and her, her quote was something kind of halting, like, yeah, I'm okay with him, I guess. You know, so there, there's some there's some hurt feelings, and to say the least, in that whole situation. Yeah. That, you know, uh, probably in those moments, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm speculating here, but... Uh, Charles Ramsey was probably a pretty bad guy, right? We we look at we take wife beaters and we think about them in a certain way and say, you know, we don't like we don't like those guys, and you know, particularly when they look like Charles Ramsey does. We want this really simple narrative where you know um, we feel really comfortable with this guy who's just down on his luck, where he's like, oh, actually, you know, he he's done some bad stuff, and it and it and it and it and it shows, I think, that uh, some of the the quote unquote bad people in our society, you know, they're not all bad. And they're not all good. What, what about the guy who didn't speak English? Have you heard about him? Am I, I going to tell you something new about this? I can yeah. tell by your face, which you can't see internet, but I can. Stephen, Stephen's going to get get schooled here for a second. Uh-oh. So, <laughs> so it, it turns out, you know, as as we emerge from like kind of the fog of war from the initial four, twenty four to forty eight hours of the story, um, yeah, there was, the, and you you hear it, Charles Ramsey, I think, told Anderson Cooper, you know, we were getting her out. You know, I, I don't get the sense per se that he's trying to to, to kind of steal the spotlight here but so the, the story comes out that there's a uh, another neighbor w- was the first to hear amanda barry you know yelling for help and he just didn't speak english um you know he was uh, it's a puerto rican neighborhood there i mean yeah. you know i mean so i think most of the people there do speak some english but this guy wasn't you know extremely fluent enough you know apparently to feel comfortable going on television and, right. or if nothing else and so and dance for the for right the media. and he wasn't right. nearly as funny i mean i'm sure, sure right like you know it's it's hard to be funny and you're not your native language <laughs> right yeah i've Certainly. Yeah. So, yeah. um, but yeah, so, so, uh, so it, it is important, I think, you know, in this kind of story about the story where, you know, the character can't just have moral fortitude, right? Like he has to be a little, a little dancy, I think, to really kind of get people's attention in the first place. Sure. But, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, on this level that we're operating on, you know, th- those two elements being there, I think it can kind of launch a larger conversation, which is, you know, the kind of thing that like we're having right now. Yeah. And this conversation will continue right after this break. Hey there, listeners. Hello. If you like what you hear on this podcast, check us out at enchantmentundersea.org. Yeah, we talk about the internet here on our podcast, but on enchantmentundersea.org, we like to uh, write about stuff like movies, books, music. So come join us over there, enchantmentundersea.org. Thanks. You're welcome. So we're live and back in our studios here, our, uh, in Stephen's palatial estate. <laughs> Um, oh, you mean in my one-bedroom apartment with moving boxes stacked up for microphone stands? Yeah, in my rolly chair. In your rolly chair, and I'm uh, on the couch. Right. 
Uh, we're we're going to high class. This is this is a professional operation. We, we spared this no is, expense to bring is, this to you. It is not insane in any way. Because now we're talking about people that are going <laughs> insane. It's not my best segue. Wow. All right. We're, we're, we're going to work on that. But uh, so uh, the, the thing about celebrities, you know, they're, they're frozen in time. We get to kind of see them in the way that they were. And we always get to remember them that way. I mean, Shirley Temple, you know, the little child star. We get to see um, Elvis, you know, the, the Mr. Hound Dog, you know, dancing and cutting a rug and all that stuff. Um, you know, this is, by the way, just just for those keeping track, this is the second podcast in a row that Andrew Tobias has said cutting a rug. Really? Yes. No, that's not really part of my vernacular, so I'm a little surprised by that. But <laughs> people do die young. Like we think of Nick Drake. We don't know about his problems. We know about how you know beautiful of an artist he was and stuff like that. You know. So I mean, moving you know, segueing from Nick Drake to Amanda Bynes, uh, <laughs> she was on she was on a mediocre kind of sketch comedy show in the mid '90s that kind of probably speaks to our generation a little bit more than maybe people who are younger or older than us. Um, Sure. And somehow, you know, uh, in ways that I could research, but I haven't, she kind of transitioned from that to kind of this weird, like, kind of C-level celebrity, and then she kind of started getting a little B-level. And she was I think, in a couple movies. Right, yeah. people started feeling her out as, like, a box office draw, kind of realized that, you know, she wasn't really that... Um, she was on Maxim, like she got sexy for a while, um, and then she completely disappeared. And I think that people ultimately realized that she wasn't really that bankable, uh, you know, given some of her subsequent behaviors, maybe she was difficult to work with. Um, we wouldn't know. But, but, you know, whereas, you know, Lindsay Lohan, um, you know, by accounts from her, like she's a good actress. I mean, that's what I hear about when you read about her as a performer. People respect her as a performer, right? Whereas, you know, Amanda Bynes is like a low rent Lindsay Lohan. You know, I've never heard anything about her acting, but... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm just going to assume that there's not a lot going on there. So, but it, it doesn't really matter, and it's kind of hard to tell because uh, now Amanda Bynes, at least for the moment and possibly forever, will be famous for being that person who has started to go crazy on Twitter. Well, first she retired from the, from movies for a year. Or she something. did that on Twitter. Yeah. That's uh, that's part of this whole thing. I would say that's the beginning of this okay. whole thing. Yeah, that is the start of our tale here. Yeah. So so the first thing Amanda Bynes did that makes her crazy uh, is that she publicly retired from acting via her Twitter feed. Which I think she'd kind of involuntarily retired for a while prior to that, right? Yeah. Like, she hadn't really been in anything for a while, but yeah. anyway. It's like showing up after, after three days after being broken up with, showing up at your ex's house and saying, I'm done with you! <laughs> you you make me sick! Anyway, so, uh, so yeah, so she publicly retired from, from being in movies, and then, you know, at some point she unretired. I was, I was trying to make a cricket sound, like that was, you know, it didn't really resonate that much, okay? <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's not your finest work, uh, but yeah, uh, she retired and to the to the sound of crickets. Yeah, and then she unretired again to the sound of crickets. Uh, but then all of a sudden, it got way more interesting she when she roared back on the scene, started going crazy. Yeah, I think the thing that really kind of brought her onto my personal radar was when she w- described uh, what she wanted Drake to do to her uh, her she vagina. Said, yeah, uh, you, uh, just not to put a too fine a point on it. Um, she said she wanted Drake to murder her vagina. I mean, that is um, that is just a, an evocative, crazy, memorable, a uh, little bit profane way of describing something. It's just uh, that is. It's violent. It's it's sexual. It's it's beautiful in a little bit. You know? Yeah, it's crazy, and it's, uh, it's maybe it's, it's kind of elegant. It's maybe the most interesting thing Amanda Bynes has said 
in a, a very long years. and storied career. Yeah. So, uh, which maybe that's the benefit of this whole watching people on Twitter and go through their lives on Twitter is that when they start to become sort of crazy, we can see it happen. And that's interesting. Well, and to I us. think we used to have to watch it by like the paparazzi. Um, right. I mean, so the, the way that it finally filtered its way down to me anyways was, you know, I'm waiting in line to like buy some groceries and you know, the tabloid and the supermarket checkout line kind of catches my eye. But in this case, you know, we don't have to like, uh, we, we don't have to have that filter. We can kind of get it straight from the source, which right. is in Mana Bynes case, a bunch of weird selfie pictures of her feet. Right. Um, you know, uh, she eventually got a little naked, which was the most recent development. I'd, I think she also got a crazy haircut, uh, which might be, I don't know. I mean, it, it looked actually kind of okay, not crazy to me. But I, I think it's people just being seen as part of this whole story that she did something crazy with her hair. Yeah. Well, so so, but ultimately she got naked. And, and, and ultimately she got naked. Right. As, as often that is as the this, case. That is this kind of story encapsulated. And you know, and that's happened before, where you know, <laughs> celebrities have gotten naked and they've yeah. ended up in Playboy or something. But in this case, she ended up on Twitter and she self-published. Um, you know, yeah. she kind of streamlined the whole process. And <laughs> at that she point, skipped the middleman of Playboy yeah. and went straight to. Twitter exactly but I'd unfollowed her at that point um, because you know there, there comes this point where uh, you know you go you can't really follow up Drake I want Drake Drake I want you to murder my vagina and I want you to do it now uh, it's it's hard to really kind of uh, continue to kind of stay on that level and there comes a point where um, you know uh, it, it mostly loses your interest and then when you kind of get when the novelty goes away it's just kind of sad and weird you know what I mean like this is sure. not something that a subject that inherently interests me a whole lot you know, but then I kind of found myself kicking myself. She posts these pictures of herself, you know, to her Twitter, and it uh, is such a uh, poorly advised thing to do that her publicist got so concerned that she called the police, and I had to read about that, and I kind of found myself regretting the fact that I'd unfollowed her because I missed the opportunity to see this happen in real time, and I had to kind of, you know, I didn't feel like as much ownership over this, you know, C-less celebrity, right? Wow. Like that is, I think that is really telling. Uh, that that what you just said is really telling about why this kind of story. Uh, percolates and is so interesting because people do want to as we said in the last segment feel like they're a part of a story they don't just have to watch it anymore they can actually be there and feel it unfold in real time and I think everybody has that feeling and that's why after this whole thing Amanda Bynes Twitter Twitter followers has probably gone incredibly up not at all down I'm just trying to imagine if Michael Jackson had been on Twitter while he was buying uh, you know the bones of the elephant man which you know obviously citation needed I don't know if that's actually true Um, but he certainly you know bought a monkey and became friends with uh, with children children Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, all sorts of weird things were happening Um, how would that experience have been different if he had Twitter and there are a lot of different possibilities and one of them is he would have done less crazy stuff because he would have had a, a straight through way to his fans Maybe he would have just been crazier on Twitter instead of actually doing all this crazy stuff. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't know. It may have solved some problems, not caused more problems. It's really hard to tell, uh, you know, but but it is, it, I think Michael Jackson is good, is useful as a way of comparing pre-internet uh, going crazy and having the tabloids show how crazy you've gone versus post-internet going crazy and having Twitter show how crazy you've gone. Has Amanda Bynes made the tabloids? I mean, I'm not... I would have no idea. I haven't noticed. But. It's hard to tell. I, you know, there's a uh, part of me that that would think that tabloids are becoming less and less useful uh, and less and less worth the money to print. Maybe even quicker than, I'm sorry, newspapers. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, tabloids r- rely a lot upon 
right now stories, stories about what is happening right this moment in inconsequential, minute details of somebody's life. And newspapers at least are not uh, nominally supposed to be interested in the inconsequential, minute details. And the internet is a much better vehicle for inconsequential, minute details. So printing a tabloid probably is making less and less sense to tabloid companies. Um, but yeah, I'm sure this story has hit tabloids somehow, but it seems to be a much bigger story, at least on the internet. Maybe that you know says more about the demographics of the internet than it does about the viability of tabloids. It probably does. It, I, I, you could see the story of tabloids and of newspapers and of the internet as being one about demographics. Uh, something that seems incredibly popular on the internet is not actually objectively incredibly popular. It might only be incredibly popular to the kinds of people that spend their life on the internet. There's no real metric for being able to tell what's popular on the internet versus what's popular generally uh, and, and what better encapsulates the spirit of what's happening in America. Is the, the example I always use is people say 30 Rock is an incredibly popular show. And it's not. It gets, you know, maybe one-tenth of the audience that something like The how Voice your gets. Yeah, well, even even How two I Met Your Mother is two and a half men. Yeah. Two and a half dudes. Two and a half gentle, gentle folk. Even those are not doing as well as The Voice or American Idol. I mean, that much better encapsulates what people are watching on television. So to say that 30 Rock speaks about anything that's going on in America, in like the popular culture of America, is a dubious thing to say. And it's unclear whether it's true. And the same is true of whether this Amanda Bynes stories is a popular story, if it's just an internet story. And unfortunately, it's true of every internet story we're going to cover uh, when we talk about anything on this Sorry, podcast. parents. Yeah, sorry, Anybody who's not in our demographic, <laughs> which there will be other vehicles for talking about that aspect of it, hopefully in future episodes. But in the meantime, uh, Twitter does offer a way for us to see what at least the Internet finds interesting about celebrities that are going crazy. People that we have this uh, uh, cultural connection to actually losing it and us getting to see our cultural icons as weird, crazy human beings. Coming up are Andrew and I weird crazy human beings we'll hear a little bit of feedback from last week's episode stay tuned would you like to hear your project talked about on our podcast well we're looking for quote unquote advertisers yeah we'll stick it right here in this spot whereas uh, instead of us talking now we'll uh, feature your thing send us an email at staff at enchantmentunderthesea.org let us know and your your product or your project might get featured here unless it's cialis or or a nigerian banker who has money stashed away in that case uh, you can call me personally at <laughs> no. not getting to my cell phone yeah, dot com <laughs> it's not even a phone number now's the time for us to take a look at some feedback we got after last week's episode we got a little too which is to our surprise because when we set out to start recording we didn't necessarily even think that we were you know doing anything more than really just kind of you know taking the bike out for a spin after you take it home for the first time and see if you know all the wheels in the right place you know and it turns out i guess the wheels were in at least enough of the right place that people had things to say about what we said last week i'm gonna break that metaphor down a little bit yeah yeah bicycles have two wheels so when i say all the wheels you know <laughs> I mean there's both. a pretty limited sample that we really that really applies but anyways <laughs> move, moving along <laughs> okay so uh, uh our first bit of feedback is from our friend ryan from new york who uh, took a little bit of issue with how we described the the Twitter account created for the boat in which the Boston bomber was eventually found. Uh, in, in last week's episode, uh, 
I sort of bloviated about uh, how... How surprising. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Uh, I did sort of get on a roll about how this might encapsulate how America uh, copes with this kind of incident using the social media experience. And Andrew pushed back a little bit, and Ryan pushed back in his email even more. Uh, Ryan said that we did not put enough of an uh, an emphasis on the the asshole component of creating that Twitter account, Mm -hmm. which, you know, as it turns out, Ryan's perfectly right. That the main thing going through that guy's head was not, I need to find a way to cope with this national tragedy. Hey, look at me. I want to exploit this tragedy to try to get some attention. Yeah, and you were right. I mean, that's certainly what's happening. I mean, I would stand by the actual cultural impetus is something closer to coping. But for sure, on an individual level, this is just somebody who thinks how hilarious he is or she is uh, in creating this account. So... You're right. It's probably mostly assholeism and and not coping that leads to that kind of thing. Last week, also, uh, uh, another another friend, Jay, from here in Columbus, Ohio. Who's Jay? Do he's, I know Jay? He's a coworker of mine. Oh, Jay. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Yeah, so he, he uh, his concern with what we said last week, uh, uh, on last week's episode, Andrew, you said something along the lines of, uh, there has never been anybody that was able to take the caricature version of themselves and turn it into something bankable and marketable. And the, the, the example that Jay gave was, coincidentally, Antoine Dodson, who's somebody that uh, was portrayed in a certain way. What, what happened to him? Uh, educate me uh, well nothing really happened to him but he did do a lot of interviews afterward he was in a couple of movies well but he but he wasn't you know this this in the context of the sorority girl email last week i don't think there's any chance this woman is going to end up going on uh, a television show and saying ha ha i'm a crazy person look at me swearing like a crazy person whereas antoine donson was able to go on and be like you know i'm uh, i'm an uh, uh, an atypical individual from this segment of society and this is what makes me weird and i'm going to celebrate and embrace that so it's at least a counterexample. Yeah, I think Mike Tyson is actually a really good example right. of somebody uh, ca- cashing in on the the character of themselves. You know, as as il- illustrated by his one man show, which I've not seen. I, I hear it gets pretty good reviews. Yeah, uh, and now he's 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 turned that into a, a cartoon. He's going to be on Cartoon Network now. Wow. Have you heard about that? No. I mean, which is great for him considering that he's you know convicted rapist. But you know, uh, boom! There's yeah. the bomb. <laughs> yeah. But he's had a career, and you know, most of it is being a parody of himself. Right. So good for him. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that was our our listener feedback from last week. Thank you, Ryan and Jay, for for giving us a little bit of uh, a, a talking to about yeah, and, some of the stuff we said last week. And keep it coming. Yeah, please. Keep, the floodgates are open. Uh, so uh, just <laughs> just flood on us. If you have any Cialis to sell us, or uh, <laughs> uh, no, if you have real stuff to say about the episodes, we want to hear what people think of what we said this week and uh, and we'll talk more about it next week that brings us to our final segment today which is the link of the week uh where we share something from the internet that we thought was cool and interesting and andrew tobias you're first uh this uh my link of the week is the uh game state of decay it's about zombies um a lot of the stuff that comes out about that's that's been uh produced from this latest zombie craze i feel like it's still been focusing on how to kill zombies in really fun and zany ways and look it's like a juggling flaming flamethrower that you can stick it in the zombie's head and then it comes out their butt and then there's you know there's eyeballs <laughs> flying everywhere and butt pieces and stuff the, the, the diagram will be on our blog uh well, the visual aids but but so you know uh, I, i'm hopeful because uh, state of decay is a game that's coming out next month that is focusing on uh the the survival elements of of zombie situations that i think kind of tickle that uh, part of me that likes post-apocalyptic kind of stuff talking about 
you know, uh, how do we cope with uh, post post civilization? And so in this case, you know, you allegedly travel around an open environment, try to collect resources, use it to upgrade the base that you're using to try to hold out and kind of cling to survival until, you know, the last thing happens that ends the game. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, uh, some, I, I guess the benefit of this, this zombie explosion, uh, the popularity in pop culture is that I get more zombie stuff, you know, <laughs> to get excited about, but then also ultimately the, the result is that I get disappointed because a lot of it's been really crappy. So, um, but you know, uh, this is the latest thing that I'm uh, holding out hope for. High hopes. Yeah. Cool. My uh, internet thing of the week is a Twitter account called not a cop, which is at not police on Twitter. And here's an example, a couple example tweets from not a cop on Twitter hosting an alcohol drinking party this weekend. All underagers welcome. There will be no cops. So bring beers that get you the highest. <laughs> hmm. uh, another example, love not stopping at stop signs. Love how we call them stoptionals. Which ones do you like not stopping at the most? <laughs> how many followers does this person have? Uh, um, looks like fifty-one thousand. Yeah, so that's not bad. It's a yeah, it's a absolute joy. This this not a cop uh, Twitter account describes himself this way: past times include buying and selling drugs and related paraphernalia, using drugs as well. Message me, seventeen years old. Hashtag not a cop. So <laughs> check him out on Twitter at not police. We'll do. So there we have it. Those were our links for the week. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. And as usual, if you have feedback, please let us know. Uh, shoot us an email uh, at staff at enchantmentunderthesea.org. And we will uh, we'll hopefully be able to respond to any questions that people have on next week's episode. So thanks for listening. Yeah, we uh, really appreciate it. And uh, we'll keep doing this whether you listen or not. So don't think that you're going to really have any... If, if your objective is to stop us from doing this, well, too Good bad. Luck. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, other than that, we, uh, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. See you next time. Hold On To Your Butts is a production of the Enchantment Under The Sea blog at enchantmentunderthesea.org. Any questions or feedback, please email staff at enchantmentunderthesea.org. Stephen Goldmeyer and Andrew Tobias are the hosts. Editing by Stephen Goldmeyer. 